With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Yeah, but we can hear you. 
And we hear you loud and clear, Mr. President. Good evening, folks. You're listening to the the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date is, wow, we're getting very, very close to Christmas, and I'm becoming even more excited. Today is the, what is the 17th? Wow, it is is, uh, December 17th, 2000. 13, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun, and in the Christmas spirit, of course, I always like to play one of my favorite new Christmas songs. It almost rivals the Christmas song, which was written and first sung by who? Mel Torme. That's right. So we're going to go ahead and put it on up there and uh, and get our Christmas groove on, and then we'll get on with the show. Remember, you're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report, and the call-in number is 347-884-8500. Okay, let's get this party started. Tiny little boots covered in snow Apples that are warming on the stove Twinkling everywhere, holly hanging on the stairs. It must be Christmas Eve. Angel sitting high upon a tree, watching over presents patiently. Milk and cookies on a plate, Santa Claus is on his way. The kids. Fast asleep, but sleigh bells are ringing in their heads, twisting like little tops in their beds, trying to sleep, but it's no use with us tap tapping.
Christmas spirit. I don't know what will. You're you, you just you just won't get there. You won't get there. Not not this time. So it's been a busy day uh, here in the news. Um, I watch I watch Fox News in the morning. I get up. Um, I watch. Sometimes I watch the Fox and Friends first, and then go on into Fox and Friends and watch, uh, you know, until 9 o'clock, the 9 o'clock hour, and, uh, you know, depending upon what I've got going on. And uh, it's been a very busy day in politics and so much going on. We won't regurgitate the news for you because, I mean, that would just be presumptuous that, uh, you know, suggesting that you don't watch the news. But the highlights are these. Totally unjustifiable, Nancy Pelosi attacks deportation of illegal immigrants without criminal records. She says that's unjustifiable to deport illegal immigrants who have no criminal records. But the law is clear. Um, I suppose the law is clear unless you're a Democrat or a liberal who doesn't like the law. Well... There are a lot of laws I don't like and a lot of I've been subjected to over time. And I just wish I could have said, you know what, I don't really like this law and so I think it's unjustifiable for you to enforce it. You know, speeding ticket, that parking ticket, et cetera, et cetera. All right. <clears throat> Kathleen Sebelius says that some individuals may be looking at increases. Sebelius admits that Obamacare is causing premium hikes. Wow. At least she's going to go ahead and admit it. Hmm. NBC News host states that the U.S. should establish a national minimum guaranteed income. Every adult citizen gets a monthly check from the government. Guaranteed. Hmm. Where does that money come from and why would we do that? Hmm. Interesting. You see the way this country is going, folks? I mean, there was a time in our not-too-distant past when something saying something like that would just... It was just the dumbest, stupidest, craziest thing. But now it's like, okay... Oh, um, yeah, some people would agree with it. Hey, let's do that, right? No, well, we're not going to do that. So it's never going to happen, and uh, yeah. So let's get on with it. <laughs> let's get on with our topic for the night because we got some serious stuff to talk about, and uh, I, I really want to really want to get into it. You know, the reportage of. Uh, well, now, I'm taking a lot of what I'm about to say from an article in the um, the American Thinker. 
And the article is uh, titled, Obama's Fall from Grace, which is where I got my title from. But uh, I thought it would be an interesting topic. I think it is an interesting topic to to get into, given that Obama's poll numbers are crashing, his credibility is in shambles. The Affordable Care Act is not what he advertised and reported it to be. Uh, many of his policies are being called into question, and even we're even going back to Obama's lineage and uh, whether or not he's an actual citizen of the United States, and so much is being called into question as a result of his outright lying about so many different things, including the biggest lie of all, the Affordable Care Act. So, reportage of last week's Nelson Mandela funeral reveals clearly enough that President Obama has reached the point in his tenure where everything ceases to go right, where even the most serious and determined efforts deteriorate into a harsh or worse a joke. And this happens to everyone in public life, eventually politicians above all. The original attraction wears thin, flaws appear more prominently, styles and opinions change, and yeah, there is little the individual can do to avoid it. That includes sending out your own propaganda photos, Mr. Obama. But they soldier on, depending on character, maturity, and seriousness of purpose. Ideologically or politically, they try hard to pull through. Now, we've, to be fair, we've seen this with George Bush and even uh, my idol, Ronald Wilson Reagan. We've seen them go through the various trials and tribulations of um, political life in the second term. But the Mandela funeral shows that Obama is seriously deep into this phase of his career. And he's landed squarely on his head, mostly because he is inept. And he's certainly not as smart as many have made him out to be. He's not, he's not a genius. He's not the smartest guy in the room, except if he's in a room by himself. But you see... Americans have built up President Obama to be nearly m mythical, godlike. He's just a man, yeah, but so many have built him up to be so much more than he is, and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that Mr. Obama will ultimately fall short of the grace of the citizens of the United States of America. So the Mandela funeral shows us what? That selfie he took along with the other <laughs> the other silliness going on. Why would he smile and take a selfie with a group of people during a funeral? And that least appealing handshake with uh, Robert Mugabe and Raul Castro. And to top it all off, he got himself placed with an arm's length of a raving lunatic and possible murderer, someone hired to sign as an interpreter, who not only messed up his assignment, but also saw angels wandering around the stadium as if you'd get 
ever get angels in the same place as a gaggle of politicians. Much of this was Mr. Obama's own fault. The Mandela funeral should have been an easy grounder. But Obama blew it off. Nobody asked him to play the fool at the solemn occasion, which he did. Though Michelle, who has never learned how to act like a first lady, shares plenty of blame. Can anybody imagine either of the Bush ladies changing seats with her husband to get him away from a pretty blonde? I mean, really? I mean, to be fair, folks, I'm, I'm from Chicago, and I am from the south side of Chicago, and so is Michelle Obama. Enough said. Come on. The lady is no class act. The man who bowed his way across the earth only four years ago should have learned to be careful whom he greets and how, how particularly as, as involved uh, such attract, unattractive figures as Mugabe and Castro. He should have avoided this. His people should have navigated these waters more carefully. But we understand that Mr. Obama is not exactly what he has made out to be. The emperor has no clothes. He is buck naked. He is the Wizard of Oz. He has been built up to be so much more than he actually is. While Obama couldn't help being posed, uh, being posed next to that maniac, uh, the fake signer dude, his gracious and efficient South African host can take credit for putting him next to that clown. It's characteristic of this kind of phase that Murphy, Murphy's Law rules. Anything that can go wrong will. With the public blaming it not on Murphy, the fates or the furies, but on the victim himself. If Obama were struck by a meteor, it wouldn't be bad luck. It would be more like, there he goes again. You see, folks, and I've said this many times, President Obama is not the president of the United States or the commander-in-chief of our armed forces. He is the affirmative action hire. It was time to place a black man in office. It's, it was time. This is the right time for a, an African-American, a black man, to, be, to assume the station, the mantle, the position of president of the United States. So what occurred was the first guy who could speak well without a, quote, Negro dialect, who wore a nice suit, who was able to read well from a teleprompter. Well, there you go. We've got our first African-American president, a Harvard graduate, president of law review. He'll do just fine. 
not ever taking into account whether or not he was seasoned enough, whether or not he had the necessary uh, experience, the gravitas, whether or not he was actually up for the job. Clearly, our president is not. And Americans are beginning to see that what we did was we found the first black guy who came along who seemed to be reasonably intelligent, who could speak the language and communicate better than Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. We couldn't get General Colin Powell. He refused to run. So we got what some consider to be the next best thing. Perhaps even better. A liberal and a black man. His credentials be damned. But isn't that what affirmative action was really all about in the first place? Just fill that spot. We need to have so many blacks, let's put so many in there, regardless of whether they're qualified. We have the ultimate affirmative action hire, and now it's coming back to bite both him and the American people in the ass. It's been a while since we've had a clown president. The most recent Republican presidents were spared that despite desperate efforts by the media. Though Bill Clinton skirted that level, no pun intended, it came out that way. At several points of his presidency, he was well-liked enough to be viewed as a lovable scamp as opposed to a dirty-minded loser. And public attitudes towards Jimmy Carter from went from goodwill to puzzlement to contempt without any comic interlude involved. It was Jerry Ford who was the last president to have the jackass tail pinned on him, though one of the most, most athletic and fit of all presidents. He'd once played serious football. He had the misfortune to be caught on film falling down aircraft steps among similar mishaps. His reputation as a klutz were reinforced by a forgotten comic named Chevy Chase. At one time, a leading light of Saturday Night Live, who shot to brief fame thanks to his his forward imitations. You remember those from Saturday Night Live? But to give you a further idea after, as to how this works, Ford was at the time also being stalked by several demented female assassins, including no less than Lynette Squeaky Fromm, chief advisor to Charlie Manson. She attempted to kill Ford while dressed up in bright red nun's robes. None of these close calls gained Ford any sympathy at all, but were instead viewed as part of his act. But how does a serious president handle this mess that Obama finds himself in? He steps out of the spotlight, curtails the golf games with celebrities, persuades the wife to postpone further multi-million dollar vacations, of which Michelle has, ab has abundantly partaken. 
adjourns any serious or lying speeches or public efforts. He lets other lesser figures carry the public load for a while. At all accounts, he makes no attempt to battle fate. This, in the long run, served Jerry Ford. And in fact, every consequent GOP president, quite handily. Bill Clinton, on the other hand, nearly sank his presidency late in his first term with a silly news conference proclaiming that the Constitution gives me reverence. Those are his exact words. Quote, the Constitution gives me reverence, end quote. This strategy would very likely work for the current chief executive as well. But I ask you, does any of that sound like Barack Obama? The man is arrogant beyond belief. Seriously. He can't back out of sight because of a little thing called Obamacare. He let the help handle that, and and it didn't work out. Now, it's attached as firmly as a ball and chain around his neck. And since he lacks both grace and wit to cut his losses, it'll dog his presidency for all the time that's left to it. And even thereafter... There's also the fact that he's been carried by media, mentor figures, and more shadowy elements all the way back to his stand at Harvard. It's not that he's grown to believe his own PR, but that he, he never believed anything else. There's no, there's no depth to Obama. The public figure is all you get. And anything that threatens the image threatens the whole man. So he will fail and protest and posture, looking more asinine all the time, looking for plenty of PR events, momentous speeches, vast promises, attempts to pull on the mantle of greater men, mountains giving birth. To mice. And how should the opposition handle this? <laughs> Nothing simpler. Hammer it. Don't let an opportunity pass. Don't let him get away with anything. This is a God-given rent in virtual armor that many thought was utterly impregnable. We need to take as much advantage of it as possible. Shortly, We'll begin hearing from more stiff media figures, the fake, studious, elder statesman type that kept reserved for such uh, emergencies. That it's dangerous. And it's a dangerous thing to have a non-functioning presidency. A non-functioning presidency that enemies may take advantage, that a crisis could erupt that we should renew our support on and on. Imagine our president and his wife on yet another extended vacation while the world burns. The president of the United States enjoys all the perks of being president. He enjoys 
all the adulation from the media, from celebrities, and from some foreign heads of state, but he does not enjoy actually doing the work of a president. He doesn't enjoy the actual job itself. And we can go back to his days at Harvard where he did very little from the historical record. He just kind of walked in and just posed, which is what he is. All President Obama really is is just another, just a poser. I won't go so far as to say that he's a con artist, but that he poses as president. He has done this all of his life, from his time at Harvard to his time as a lecturer, not a professor at the University of Chicago, to his time in the Illinois State Senate, to his time in the Senate here, and as president, a functioning president. Don't we miss that? We miss having a functioning president, one who actually did his job, a man who spent more hours in the White House, in the Oval Office, than he did on the golf course or on, a, on Air Force One flying around the country. We miss that, don't we? We miss having a real president, one who does not bow to foreign dignitaries or take selfies while at a funeral for one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest men in, in, in the history of the world. And you're smiling and grinning and taking a selfie. And you get caught. You get caught doing it. Talk about a clown. But we don't blame Obama for these things because he is not experienced enough. He doesn't understand. He simply doesn't understand what's going on. We're going to take a short break. We'll come right back. You've been listening. You're, you are listening, rather, to the... <laughs> to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. And we'll be right back. Wow. <laughs> Rise without him doing anything, and he took it. He changed health care for millions of Americans, even though they liked what they had. He says he will tell Iran to quit making nukes, and they will stop, because he is just that good. To him, the Supreme Court is nothing but an unelected group of people. You want precedent? He is the president. He picked Joe Biden to be his vice president just to show that he doesn't really need one. He wants us to believe no one else in America would have made the Bin Laden call. He is the most arrogant man in the world. I ultimately get what I want. Stay ignorant, my friends. (laughs) 
Excellence in Broadcasting presents Liberals of Genius. Liberals of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. President of the United States. President of the United States. You single-handedly managed to choke all the life out of the world's greatest economy in record time. 10% no one else could have apologized more, spent more, or built a rat maze healthcare system from hell that only the IRS could love. What were you thinking? Thanks to you, FDR will be known as a conservative, Carter will look presidential, and Joseph Stalin won't seem like such a bad guy. Joe was misunderstood. So crack open a good book, sit on your butt, and help your buddies with a snowball's chance in November. Mr. President's the one we weren't waiting for. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Valerie Jarrett, Obama's Rasputin, unwittingly, unwittingly provided us with an answer to the question of why the Obama presidency is in such a man-made, man-caused disaster. There are few people who are close to the notoriously insular Barack Obama a former aide near attendance said that Obama doesn't call anyone. He's not close to almost anyone. It's stunning that he's in politics because he really doesn't like people. That's a direct quote. But Valerie Jarrett is among the select few. They've been friends for decades. She's introduced. Uh, she introduced Barack to uh, to Michelle. She is a constant presence in the White House, and highly unusual for a White House aide enjoys her own Secret Service protection detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when she described Barack Obama as having been quote bored to death. His whole life. End quote. Yeah, she actually said that. She helped explain what lies behind this this failed presidency. People with, uh, familiar with Barack Obama's history realizes he has a very low threshold for boredom. 
Now, this is a trait shared by many uh, malleables. They bore easily. And that character flaw is one reason employers refrain from hiring them. Yet they feel entitled to promotions as a way for others to display gratitude toward them and to give them an ego booster shot. They want to be stimulated and entertained all the time and find work tedious and boring. And as I've said earlier, Obama has had trouble with this all of his adult life. Obama, well, his, 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 his boredom began early. When, when, when interviewed upon becoming the first black Harvard Law Review president, he told the Associated Press, quote, I'm not interested in the suburbs. The suburbs bore me, end quote. By inference, suburbanites bore him as well. And we know how he feels about small-town Americans, don't we? Ah, to be jaded and judgmental so early in life and to feel free to spout stereotypes. Hmm. Upon graduating law school, he went to work for a politically connected Chicago law firm, but instead of grueling hours spent working on cases or contracts, his colleagues remember him as engaging in less boring and mundane pursuits. His feet up on his desk, doodling on his uh, memoir, on company time. His fellow associates probably did not appreciate his attitude, but the name partners indulged him. As one suspects, he has been indulged throughout his entire life. His boredom continued. He quickly grew bored with his state senate job. After all, voting present and relying on the work of others to make a name for himself can induce that sort of thing. This was a mere stepping stone to the way to greater electoral victories, as as we all know. He parlayed the state senate job into becoming a United States senator. How long did it take for that role to bore him? Not long at all. According to Game Chains author Joe Hellman and Mark Halperin, they're the ones who wrote of his attitude toward being a senator for just one measly year. The quotes go as these. The glacial pace, the endless procedural wrangling, the witless posturing and perfurgity, the generic cast of characters doddering around the place, all of it drove him nuts. To one friend in Chicago, Obama complained that, and I quote, it is basically the same as Springfield, except the average age in Springfield is 42, and in Washington it's 62. Other than that, it's the same bullshit, end quote. After listening to Biden during a committee hearing, Obama passed a note to Gibbs that read, quote, shoot me now, end quote. Time and again, after debates on the floor, he would emerge through the chamber's 
uh, double doors, shaking his head, rolling his eyes, using both hands to give the universal symbol for flapping of gums, sighing wearily, yak, yak, yak. He was angling for a bigger role. There was a pattern becoming visible throughout his career. Barack Obama has found work, actual work, too mundane, too boring to bother spending time on. He was always looking for the excitement of the next campaign, to be the star surrounded by adoring crowds and a press eager to sing his praises. A veteran choir, that's what he needed, a choir. The only time he seemed to be exerting energy was when he was in front of a roaring crowd. His political accent, uh, or ascent rather, into the atmosphere began at the 2004 Democratic National Convention, where he delivered a keynote speech, a speech that sent the media swooning. He was in his element, boasting that, I'm LeBron, baby. I can play at this level. I got some game, end quote. After that display, it was off to the races, and what followed was, well, what followed was a narcissist dream. The Denver faux columns, the faux presidential seal, the fake presidency. There are many examples of Obama's refusal to take his job with any degree of seriousness. He has, he has repeatedly refused to meet with economic experts, skipped more than half of his daily intelligence briefings, turned his cabinet trumpeted by an obedient mem, uh, media in 2009 into a Lincoln-esque team of rivals into a team of idolizers that he almost completely ignores both as individuals and as a group. If one believes his protestations, a big if was out of the loop or has, uh, as Charles Krautheimer wrote, obvious he was oblivious to the NSA, IRS, and AP scandals as well as Benghazi, Fast and Furious, the vendetta against James Rosen at Fox News, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Of course, the most recent revelation is most revealing. Even as he staked his reputation and legacy on his signature achievement, he called it his most important initiative, Obamacare. He reportedly met only once with the official he chose to head the program, Kathleen Sebelius. Talk about being outside the beltway. Actually, that is where he can be often found. On the golf course, on vacations, in front of adoring crowds, or shaking the money tree at glissy fundraisers in Hollywood and elsewhere. A natural environment indeed for a fake president. The president has to set priorities. This one does not. 
When Americans were dying in Benghazi, he took the night off to rest for a trip to Las Vegas. For a fundraiser to help his reelection efforts. When Americans were engaging or engaged in the mission to kill bin Laden, he went to play cards with his body man. Those events were boring because they were not about him. So when he has no clue about the real world, where there were no shovel-ready jobs, despite what he said when he pushed for a stimulus bill, Buying insurance is actually complex. One suspects that he has never had to do it. Or about the size of the national debt, a topic of mirth, not concern on the Letterman show. Or how taxes work or how the economy works. Well, math is boring to this president. When Paul Ryan revealed how little, if anything, Obama knew about health care reform, entitlements, and budgets, Obama could not even fake a semblance of comprehension. Now we know why he does not like news conferences and only appears on fluff shows where he knows he's in a gotcha, question-free zone. When he declared that the private sector was doing fine. When his advisors discussed the Syrian massacres in front of our Nobel Peace Prize-winning president, while he blithely ignores them as he spins through his BlackBerry checking sports scores, we should no longer be surprised by these. All those topics are so boring to this man because they're not about him. Americans... Americans should not be surprised that his decision-making has been reduced to a multiple-choice sheet handed to him by his ring of advisors or that he is so slow in making decisions. We call this leading from behind. Is there any American president who has proclaimed such a doctrine as a guiding principle ever? Obama is proud of the mantra of leading from behind or that he outsources decision-making to Vladimir Putin. He outsources the work behind his goal of fundamentally transforming the United States of America to radicals he appoints and who now have an easy path to confirmation in the wake of Harry Reid's abolishing the venerable filibuster. Contrary to the sycophants who declare him as the smartest president ever, or a sort of God, he is not omniscient, nor is he particularly bright. And I've I've been telling you this for years. He's not a smart man. He may be clever, but he is not a bright man. However, the flattery 
this flattery of him, this making of him as a godlike figure has only inflated his already outsized ego. Why would a god find mere mortals of interest? Obama admitted as much when he declared at a high-powered fundraiser that it is very rare. No, this is a direct quote. It is very rare I come to an event where I'm like on the fifth or sixth. Let me let me just say this right. <laughs> Obama said, and I quote, It is very rare I come to an event where I'm like the fifth or sixth most interesting person. End quote. No wonder he finds no time for experts and advisors, but he has plenty of time for pickup basketball games or NBA pros, glittering Hollywood celebrities, private concerts in the East Room of the White House. Everyone and everything else is so boring. And he has no tolerance or no actual... Or, or is it actually rude to people he finds boring? When Republicans and others, even donors hoping for photo op, try to meet with him, he considers it an act of utter indulgence. If he were interested in becoming a better president, he would be forced to actually work. And he's had a severe problem with the concept of work when it involves him and perhaps welfare recipients. He does not understand why businessmen and professionals would find his declaration that, quote, they did not build that, end quote, offensive. But to him, work is boring. And I've been telling you this for such a long time, folks. The President of the United States is lazy, and there is no reason for him to be President. And for all of you black folks out there, hey, Mary's in the house, in the chat room. For all of you African Americans out there, you so-called African Americans, who revere this man, he has set the presidency and black people back 25, 50 years. He's clearly lazy and shiftless, and not very bright. He doesn't even actually do his job. I would think that for those of you who are proud that we have elected the first black president of the United States, which showed just a bit more depth. Because basically, you've just put anyone in that office. He's not particularly bright. He doesn't actually like doing, actually working. He's lazy. He likes to dance and tell jokes and say really stupid things and just kind of party and hang out. Basically, you hired the stoner that he was. Only thing he's probably not doing that any loafer off the street is just sit around and get high all day, and we don't know that he doesn't do that. Now, he may be good enough for government work. No wonder he's big government. Where else can someone with his attitude and work ethic rise so high? 
the administration operates with the efficiency of the DMV. After five years of watching a president just going through the motions, Americans have seemingly had their fill of this man. This is what excessive adulation can do to any celebrity, and we've seen it time and time again in every blog talk radio show that I have done. I have pointed this out to you. You have built this man up to be something that he could never possibly be, and he's not even trying. He's just having a good old time. He's having fun being the president and all the work involved that most presidents really like. He's not even interested. He's not even interested in that stuff. Meeting with cabinet members and heads of state, meeting with with, with congressmen and just the nitty gritty get down and dirty. You know, he likes to have his sleeves rolled up doing a lot of his his uh, displays. Sleeves rolled up are an indication of actual work. Americans have realized that they've been conned. They've been conned to add to his election victories, selfies, magazine covers, Grammys, uh, Nobel medals. Add it to all that. The lie of the year for his, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. The young have abandoned the man they elected. There are few things youth can tolerate, and one of them is inauthenticity. And Obama has that in abundance. He is after after all, in the words of Jeremiah Wright Jr., just a politician. His poll numbers in five key categories are plummeting daily. Young people so crucial to the success of Obamacare are ignoring his pitches to sign up and are turning him out. The man has fallen. And I almost feel sorry for him. Almost, but not quite. Tens of millions of Americans have muted him. As Nancy Pelosi so precisely did early in his presidency, fake political leaders know one when they see one. When Obama speaks now, they are just words and don't matter once they've served their purpose in fooling people. They can be buried in the memory hole, as was his fake red line regarding the use of chemical weapons or explaining away as fault for Americans' failure to understand nuance. America, you have you have packaged up you put him in a pretty, pretty, pretty package and a pretty red bow, and you said, "Here, you have buried yourself with this man." The president is the ultimate Wizard of Oz. 
Frank Baum wrote about it. Almost this, what, more than a quarter, half a century ago. And when Frank L. Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz, he was writing about Barack Hussein Obama. Yes, he was. Just as Ayn Rand wrote Atlas Shrug, and we see it coming true today, The Wizard of Oz is an ode, a warning that we did not heed when we elected President Barack Hussein Obama. I want to thank you all for listening tonight. You've been a great audience, and I've had some calls come in, but I've been unable to take them. And I am sorry for that, but please do call back tomorrow. We've had a great show, and we appreciate you. There's so many things that you could be doing with your time, but you chose to come in and listen to my show, and I do so appreciate it. I want to thank you for listening tonight. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We're out. Good night, folks.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.